Hi, this is Kelly. And this is Jenna. And you're listening to ODFM. This episode is One Dummy from Murder. We have to do a shout out to Carrie. Carrie. She's um, wonderful. The nurse who, she works with COVID patients. She works with all sorts of difficult to manage patients. She's amazing. She came that, in yes. and, and said that it's, that listening to our crazy ass podcast has been kind of a, a therapy for her. So we thank you for listening. That's so cool. It's really awesome to hear that. Thank you for sharing that with us and a shout out to you because... You know, we're just doing this in our free time yeah, with our own money and stuff. And, and so you're to working hear that, your ass off on the front lines. <laughs> right. Exactly. So if we could, so if we could do something to put something positive out there, considering the fact that this podcast alone is going to send us to hell, you know, it's kind of weird, <laughs> but, but awesome at the same time. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad I can take a little, little humor, inject a little humor into our week, but. Get ready to laugh and be horrified. Oh, shist. Okay. <laughs> I'm ready. All right, here we go. This is Indianapolis, Indiana, summer yeah. of 1994. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So this would be like the summer after our freshman year in college. Yeah. Woo-woo! <laughs> when we had no idea what the hell we were doing. Oh my god, I was so poor. I worked so many jobs. Yep. It was stupid. I was I had no direction. I had no yep. idea what I was gonna do. Yeah. I was a hot mess. This is a great name. This reminds me of like like a superhero or something. You know how they always have Ooh. um names where it's the first first name and last name are the same letter and stuff like that. It's always like yes. a superhero. So, okay, so this is Virgil Vandegrift. Ooh, Vivi. Vivi. So like Virgil Vandegrift is a private investigator who is regularly hired to find missing people. Oh. The law at the time, which is crazy, was that someone wasn't considered missing in Indiana until they are gone for 24 hours. And then the report goes to a district detective. And then if they're not located within 30 days, the case is handed over to the missing persons bureau. Oh my God. <laughs> Seriously, so like right? A full month, basically, of them being gone. I mean, that. Yeah, totally. You know, so much time. Exactly. So much time and we know so that that's evidence. not. That's a, a great way to do it because, you know, there's that show called um, The First 48. Yes. Hi. I think this was not like, like if it was like a missing child or someone was taken. It was just okay. that like it was a, it was an adult. Okay. Still. And they were missing. So it was kind of yeah. like, well, you have the right to. Yeah. To go missing if you want. Go mi- right, Exactly. It oh, is God, your God-given right. I think about right that all the time. To go missing. I know. <laughs> I think about that all the time. I think I should just but, go missing now. Go missing? Yeah. So anyway, so since a lot of families didn't want to wait that long, obviously, they would go to a private investigator. So this kept this kept this guy in business. I guess. People. Yeah. Thanks, police. Yeah. Oh, shit. Oh, God. So when the mother of 28-year-old Alan Brossard contacted Vandegrift to find her son in June of 1994, he began investigating the young man's life, right? He learned that Alan Brossard was a heavy drinker. He was gay and he was active in the gay bar scene. Okay. Yeah. So that's where he was starting his search. He was last seen leaving a gay bar called Brothers. That's a terrible name. Isn't it? <laughs> it's a terrible <laughs> it's a ter- name. It's 
not like you want to hook up with your brothers. <laughs> right. Oh. And it's a gay bar where you're hoping to meet somebody. Right. Brothers. No. Yeah, that no. is a bad name. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I'm going to name a couple other ones and none of them are great. <laughs> just, just FYI. Okay. So Vandegrift hung posters around the city with Alan's photo asking the public for any information. A month later, a second mother contacted him, asking Uh for help locating her missing son, Uh 34-year-old Roger Allen Goodlett. Roger was also a big drinker, gay, and active in the gay bar scene. Sound familiar? Yeah. Uh Uh-oh. There's a pattern happening. Right. So she told Vandegrift that the last time she saw her son, he had left the home that they shared and went out to a gay bar on 16th Street in downtown Indianapolis. So- Again, another mother who's like, her son's going out to do his thing and never came back. So while investigating these missing men, Vandegrift came across an article in a local gay lifestyle magazine called The Indiana Word. And there was a story about a 31-year-old man named Jeff Jones who had disappeared the previous summer, seemingly without a trace. And he learned that an Indiana police detective named Mary Wilson was working on the disappearances of other gay men in, in the area. Oh, God. So That's scary. Yeah. This is starting to sound like a thing, right? Yeah. Then he was contacted by a man known as Tony Harris, which is a fake name because to this day he, does, he wants to remain anonymous. Oh, okay. Understandable. Right. Tony had known Roger Goodlett from the gay bar scene. They were oh. friends. He had seen the missing posters and believed he knew what happened to Roger Goodlett. And he had an incredible story that he tried to tell police, but they wrote him off. (gasps) Like it was too crazy to believe. Oh, So I am going to tell you Tony's story. Sorry. You might want a drink. Okay. Mine's just sweet tea, but still. Yeah, mine's just water, but that's okay. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Anybody uh, listening, if you you got a shot, you might want one now. Take a shot now. Okay. According to Tony, while while at a local gay bar in town, the 501 Club, which just makes me think of Levi's jeans. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was like. <laughs> that, that is hilarious because I thought denim instantly. Denim. <laughs> right? Why okay, did I so think the of 501, <laughs> the 501 Club. He came upon a man he'd seen before, but he'd never spoken to. He was tall and lanky and quiet, kind of awkward. Okay. Which, like every teenage boy. Yeah, well, this was a guy in a in a local bar, so he was True. a man. So but, he was a man. But still, so he, he retained his language. I would imagine, you know, just from from what I know, and I don't want to put myself in their shoes, but uh, not everyone is comfortable being out. True. So probably not strange for a quiet, lanky guy right. to be at a gay bar, it's kind of looking like kind of hanging out of place. back. Yeah, hanging back, right. oh, watching the scene. The man was staring at Roger Goodlett's missing persons poster that hung behind the bar. Okay. This is a quote from Tony. I just had a feeling by the way he was captivated by that poster that he was the man who killed my friend Roger. Oh. Something in his eyes. Whoa. Yeah. It was just, he did, it was not like a curious or like a, oh, who's this? It was like. I wish I knew this guy because I have so many things I need to ask him about my life. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Am I on the right path? Right. (laughs) So Tony introduced himself to the man. The man said he called himself Brian Smart and thinking he could try to get information out of him. BS. Uh huh. Oh, and it is. Total fake name. So, yep, it is a BS name. Good catch, (laughs) Cal. So he thought, well, if he chatted him up, he could probably get some information 
to try to wow. help find Roger. What right? a guy. Yeah, this guy's awesome. ballsy. Yeah. I, I don't think I would I know. have the... Be like, nope, you're a serial killer. Have a feeling. Bye. <laughs> right? Brian Smart said that he was a landscape artist from Ohio, and he was staying in an empty house outside of town that he was preparing for new owners. Oh. So he invited Tony back to the house for a cocktail and a swim. Oh, God. No. No, thanks. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh. Yeah. So <laughs> Brian drove them in his car. Oh, he oh went. Oh, my God. He went. <laughs> he went. Oh. So Brian drove him in his car, which Tony noted had an Ohio license plate. They headed north out of the city into an upper class suburb. They entered a neighborhood with large houses and horse farms, properties that had acres of land. Okay. You know, so it wasn't wow. like a Estates. like a suburb where it's all these houses yeah. and stuff. There, you know, there's there estates. space. Yes. yes. Oh shit. Estates, yeah. lots of space, which always makes me think of the beginning of the movie Scream. <gasps> yes. Where she was like trying to run to the neighbor's house oh, and there was like this massive field between her and yeah. the next house, which always freaks me out. They pulled into a long driveway and stopped in front of a large Tudor-style mansion. The house was dark, and they entered through a side entrance and passed through the garage, which had several cars, including an antique one. Wow. Nice. Right? They walked through several messy rooms with boxes and furniture haphazardly arranged. That's weird. Uh Uh-huh. And then down a set of stairs to a large rec room with a wet bar that connected to an indoor pool. Dang. Right? And then... There's pictures of the pool. It had like sliding glass doors against one wall so you could look out into the property. Yeah. It was kind of crazy. The room was cluttered and staged all around them were mannequins dressed Ah. and posed as if they were guests at a pool party. No, bye. Out. Running. Bye. (laughs) Right? No. Creepy. Got pictures of them too. Oh, shit. Very creepy. No. I'm out. And when Tony asked about him, Brian said, well, he got lonely down there and they kept him company. <sighs> That's creepy as fuck, that right? want to cry. No. <laughs> That's creepy as fuck. <laughs> then Brian excused himself for a few minutes. And when he returned, he seemed looser and <laughs> yeah. less timid. Oh, God. I'd be like, I'm excusing myself as well. <laughs> right? Uh, the oh, good God. news is, is that he offered Tony drinks and Tony Oh, refused, good job. Too. Right? He was trying to keep his... Uh, Smart. Right? Yeah, because it could have had, like, roofies in it or something. Jesus. Right? But based on his previous experience, he assumed that Brian had left to go use some cocaine because he was oh. much looser, much less uh, timid, yes. and just yeah. the way he reacted, and he was like, scene, mm. Yeah, I could see it being a thing. The pool was a lap pool, and Brian insisted that Tony swim, which he did, naked. Because, oh. uh-huh. you know, who had, right? Right, I didn't bring my suit. Because why not? Okay. Uh, creepy guy with all your mannequins everywhere. Sure. <laughs> yeah, would, Let me take a dip. This is a complete... Why not? So I, as I'm hearing this, I'm like, okay, I kind of understand why the police were like, like I don't know if we're going to take you seriously. Yeah, like, what are you doing? Why would you stay? Because, exactly, right? Because what sane person would... Right. Maybe yes is pretty hot or something. Brian? No, I got some pictures. He's oh, not, gosh. he's not hot. Oh, <laughs> it's not hot. I guess this guy, this guy's like a true detective then. Like he'll put himself out there to find the fact. He, yeah. He was pretty determined because um, it's about to get weirder. Oh shit. <laughs> weirder <sighs> than the mannequins. Okay, Tony. So while Tony swam naked, Brian was chatting about numerous topics. Then Brian said, hey, I just learned this really neat trick. Oh, God. If you choke someone while you're having sex, it feels really great. You get a really great rush. Uh, uh, okay, thanks, Brian. I think, oh, t- 
time to go. Look at my watch. Look at what time it is. <laughs> oh, look what. But yeah. Oh, look what time it is. Oh God. Oh Jesus. Ryan pointed to the cartoid arteries on his own neck and said, "You just want to pinch these two veins, and it's such a great buzz. You should see how someone looks when you're doing it to them. Good Their God. lips change color. That's how you can tell it's working." No. No. <laughs> Oh, God. <gasps> and that, sir, is when I ran screaming out of the house. But no, yeah. no, he did not. Uh, Tony, let's try it. No, Tony thought the only way to find out what happened to Roger was to go along with it. What? That is Tony, not the conclusion I would have made. Tony, I'm kind of questioning your sanity now. I, I think it's fair to say at this point that Tony was physically bigger and stronger than Brian. Okay. So I think he felt like... Like he could take him if he needed to? Maybe. I don't know, man. <laughs> so. Let me be so, the one doing the choking. And we'll see how that goes. Oh, God. So Brian stripped down and laid oh, down on a fold-out couch in the corner of the room and directed Tony to slip a pool hose around his throat while he masturbated. Wait, wait who was the one masturbating? Uh, Brian. Brian. And he was the one having the choking done to him. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. So he had the impression that Brian had done this many times. Yeah. He seemed like he had the whole situation down to his science. Okay. (sighs) Then Tony laid down and placed Brian's hands on his own neck. No. No. Stop it. No. (laughs) Dude, not a good idea. Right. And again, I don't know why the police thought that you were batshit crazy. Brian tied the hose around Tony's neck and tightened it. And as the blood pressure started building in his head, Tony faked unconsciousness. Oh, okay. That's smart. Okay, Tony, I'm I'm liking you a little better right now. Okay. He felt Brian ease up, then pause. Then Brian whispered his name. (gasps) Then he started shaking Tony violently. Okay. Tony opened his eyes and grinned. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. So funny. Right? (laughs) Oh, my God. Which enraged Brian. Oh. And he yelled, you scared the shit out of me. You know oh. you can die doing this. There have been accidents. Oh. Have yeah. there been? Um, <laughs> have you seen them? So Tony took the opportunity to ask him about these so-called accidents. Oh my God, Trying Tony. to get information on his missing friend. Wow. But Brian calmed down and just acted as if the whole thing was a game. Oh. Ah, ha, 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 oh, right? God. Brian was obviously under the influence of something, and he began yeah. slurring his words and eventually drifted off. Oh, <laughs> I, I'm leaving now. I should have left two hours ago, but I'm going to leave now. But he had Brian drive him. Oh, shit. And I did, I didn't write it, but I did read because I was like, why wouldn't he take his own car? Like, yeah, what? at you least know? a getaway. Um, but he had said, and this kind of made sense, that he was worried if something happened to him. If his car was left in the parking lot at the bar, people would know he was missing. But I'm like, wow. but if you're missing, you're just one of the other guys. And yeah. it didn't help anything. Yeah. But anyways, that was his thinking. Oh, okay. I okay. Guess. So he couldn't leave by himself. He didn't even know where he was. Jeez. Okay. Brian drifts off. So Tony suspected that Brian Smart was not the man's real name. <laughs> Weird. Right. And that he was not a landscaper preparing an empty house for new owners. <laughs> no, probably right? not. And so he went upstairs to investigate. What he found was a home that was sparsely furnished, but cluttered, and very much lived in, with children's toys and women's clothes. Eh, creepy. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So then Tony went back downstairs, hoping to go through Brian's wallet and maybe find an ID. Yeah. But Brian woke up before he had the opportunity. So after some convincing, Brian agreed to drive him back to Indianapolis. Oh, my God. When he dropped Tony off, Brian told him that he was a good sport and <sighs> asked to meet him again at the 501 Club the following Wednesday. <laughs> hey, that was fun. Let's do this that again was sometime. so much fun. I enjoyed noodling with you. <laughs> I thought maybe we'd need a break after that lovely yeah. story. <laughs> Tony, holy cow. I can't decide whether he's badass or a dumbass. Or <laughs> You know what? I think it's a fine line. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's a fine line between yeah. badass and dumbass. I know. I'm like, God, dude. Hmm. Oof. Dedication. I don't think right? so, Jen. If if you get kidnapped or if you disappear and so, someone tells me that, you know, maybe I can reenact how you disappeared to find you, right. I might be like, um, can I bring a friend? Or, <laughs> right? I don't know. Oh my God. I mean, I don't know if I'd be brave enough. Yeah. Uh, no offense, Kelly. I don't <sighs> think that I'm that good of your friend. But I, no, no. I, 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 mean, I, I don't blame in you. Danger. No, I don't blame you. No. I'd rather you just tell my story afterwards. The right? the podcast, whatever <laughs> crime podcast <laughs> yeah, solves right? my murder. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. So okay. Yeah, uh, Virgil Vandegrift tried to get as much information as Tony could remember about the location of the house. He realized it would be in one of the wealthy suburbs of Hamilton County, Indiana, which was a county north of the county where Indianapolis is. So it's a different jurisdiction. Gotcha. Yes. Is what he assumed. Unfortunately, it had been dark, and all Tony could remember about the neighborhood was that there was a sign that said something farms. Oh, I'm sure they all have that name. <laughs> right? Yeah. Exactly. Plus, it's like acres and estates and horse farms. So, yeah. yeah. So every, right. every estate has a farm. <sighs> so that Wednesday, Vandegriff went with Tony to the 501 Club, and he had an associate posted out in the parking lot wow. as well. And they stayed all night, but Brian didn't show up course right he's probably got new friends got stood up yeah vandegrift took this information to the indiana police department and spoke to detective mary wilson in the missing persons department because he knew she was already looking for some missing gay men right so he was like this is the person i want to talk to detective wilson had been the lead investigator on the jeff jones case the one that vandegrift had read about okay. from the previous yeah. summer so he's like this is who i want to talk to she was currently investigating the disappearances of several other gay men, a 20-year-old Richard Hamilton, a 21-year-old Johnny Bayer, and a 28-year-old Alan Livingstone. So we got like at least, let's see, so we got three, four, five, six guys now. Oh, shit. Okay, yeah, there's definitely a pattern. Something's going on, right? And they're all young gay men. They all were similar-ish looking. Uh, going yeah. out to the bars. Mm-hmm. Detective Wilson drove Tony Harris all over the suburbs north of Indianapolis, but nothing looked familiar to him. Oh, no. She had undercover officers in the popular gay clubs talking to patrons and bar owners. Wow. But no one could help them find Brian Smart. <sighs> so she told Tony what she really needed was a license plate number. Oh. Hoping that Tony and his friends would have a better chance than her okay. undercover officers. You know, yeah, so keep an that eye could out. could be. Yeah. A full year went by. Oh, no. Then on August 29th, 1995, Tony saw Brian Smart walk into a club named the Varsity Lounge. Oh, gosh. Yeah, Another well, weird name. 
That's a little bit better. I like I that one so. a little better. Yeah. Yeah. Like you kind of like varsity guys are usually the hotter dudes. There you go. Yeah. So um, the two med chatted at the bar. You know, hey. like, hey, been a hey. long time. Remember that night? Mm-hmm. Ah, noodle. And Tony made sure to walk out with Brian Smart and took note of his license plate. Wow. Okay. That's mm-hmm. pretty badass. I'm telling okay. you, Tony Tony is the one that Tony's really fearless. got them. Yeah. So the plate was registered to 48-year-old Herbert R. Baumeister of Westfield, Indiana. Herbert. Herbert. Herbert lived with his wife and three children in an estate called Fox Hollow Farms that had a swimming pool in the basement. I think we're on to something. Wow. Herb and Julie Baumeister were the owners of a chain of thrift stores called Save-A-Lot. After several weeks of surveillance, Detective Mary Wilson and her boss, Lieutenant Thomas Green, approached Herb Baumeister at the store while he was working. wow. And informed him that they were investigating the disappearances of several men in the area and that he was a suspect. They told him straight out. They told him straight out. And they noticed that this made him extremely nervous and awkward. Yeah. I mean, yeah. (laughs) Right? Oh, she is. Right. And then they asked to search his home, but he refused and told them to speak to his lawyer. I don't really know what they were expecting to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Come on in. Right. Exactly. Can I get you some coffee? Like, what what did they think was, I don't know. (laughs) Come look at my But I guess guess they wanted to see how he reacted. Wow. You know, possibly. Okay. So since that was kind of a, okay, so he's not going to give us anything. All right. Then they attempted to gain access to the house through Julie Baumeister. They also approached her as she was working at the other store. And they informed her that they were investigating her husband for a homosexual homicide oh um surprise your husband yeah maybe you should find a different way to say something i don't <laughs> right yeah so i watched this documentary on a e called the secret life of a serial killer Ooh. and i wrote down this quote that she said after they came and confronted her okay quote i cannot begin to tell you the degree of life that left my body at that point oh shit i bet <laughs> that's a great way to put it <laughs> i just went blank and i thought what is homosexual homicide? I was trying to make and define the word homosexual, and I can define homicide. Now, how do you define them together? Like, she was like, what are they trying to tell? Like, she was like, oh, she just couldn't. What are you trying to tell me? Together. Like, what, yeah. like. She couldn't fathom him being homosexual at all. She right? couldn't fathom him being homosexual. She couldn't pa- fathom him being a murderer. It oh, was like, yeah, like all this information is coming at me. She said, I just wanted them to leave so I could cry. Oh, that's sad. Oh. Right? Julie, understandably, was shocked and upset. Yeah. She refused the police's request to search her home. Okay. Detective Wilson tried to get a search warrant, but she was told there wasn't enough evidence or conclusive evidence. And so the police hit another brick wall. Oh, my God. I guess. I mean, that would be hard to... <laughs> right? I uh... mean, I need to process what you just told me. And no, you can't search my house because... Yeah. There's all this weird mannequins in the basement, and now I'm starting to wonder right. <laughs> if something might be wrong with that situation. Do you own a small business or make cool and unusual handcrafted items? We love artists and small business owners, and we would be stoked to help you get the word out about yours. Consider advertising with us through this podcast. It's super affordable, and our podcast reaches every corner of the U.S. and even worldwide. 
find out more, visit odfmpodcast.com and click on the Advertise With Us link. Let's get your creativity into the hands of people who would love it. Find your happy place. Shit's going to keep getting weird. (laughs) (laughs) I told you this one was crazy. Okay. I'm going to give you a little background now. Oh, okay. Herbert Richard Baumeister was born April 7th, 1947. He was the eldest of four children. His father was an anesthesiologist. Soon after his youngest sibling was born, the Baumeister family moved to an affluent area of Indianapolis called Washington Township. So he comes from a doctor's family. Right. As Herb started school, he began to exhibit strange behaviors. He urinated on a teacher's desk. Oh, that's not just strange. Yeah, that's right. He found a dead crow on the road and he left it on another teacher's desk. Jesus Christ. He's got some issues with teachers. Yeah, some yeah. authority figures, maybe. <laughs> he's got a problem, right. <sighs> he was disruptive and volatile in class. In high school, his father took him for a psychiatric evaluation oh. and he was diagnosed as being schizophrenic and having multiple personality disorder. Oh, God. So there's records of that, but there is no record of him receiving any kind of treatment. Oh, no. <laughs> it was like, oh, no. what's the good in finding this out yeah. if you're not going to do anything about it? Yeah, you're not going to do anything, not even right. therapy? Plus, or... you know, so he's still a young developing mind in right. high school. You yeah. could have changed the course of his life by oh. simply, granted, at this point, there wasn't yeah. the same help or same treatments. True. So they just thought they just... See what happened. You know what? We'll just let it go. Yeah, Wait, I mean, those we'll are just, just, you know, it's like he's got a headache. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Maybe it'll go away. Maybe it'll go away. <laughs> oh, so Herb graduated from high school and attended Indiana University in the fall of 1965. Wow. But he dropped out after first semester. Okay. Yeah, I was surprised that he got through high school, let alone, yeah. yeah <laughs> right? With those. His father pressured him to return, so he enrolled again in 1967 to study anatomy. Uh-oh. Just going to leave that there. Mm-hmm. And he didn't even finish the semester before dropping out again. Again. Oh, God. Okay. But while he was at school, he met a journalism teacher and a part-time student named Juliana Sater. This is future wife. Yeah, this is where it all starts to go wrong. They were, they had a lot in common. They were both extremely conservative and they both dreamed of owning their own business someday. So they had a bond. Herb and Julie got married in 1971. This is a little strange. Not a lot of information on this. Six months after the wedding, Herb's father had him committed to a mental institution for depression, general term depression for two months. Herb was 25 at the time. And Julie described her husband at that time as hurting and in need of help. Oh, God. Red flags here. Yeah. Then there's really nothing too much to talk about until like nine years later. After they'd been married nine years, they decided to start a family. Oh, God. They had Marie, who was born in 1979, Eric in 1981, and Emily in 1984. Julie quit her teaching job to stay home full time while Herb worked at the Bureau of Motor Vehicles. His co-workers often talked about his odd and erratic behavior at work. He was kind of the topic at the water cooler. Oh, no. One year, he sent a Christmas card to everybody he worked with, 
that pictured him with another man, both dressed in holiday drag. <laughs> right? Which Not with um, my family, which, you know, is the norm. Okay. <laughs> which is okay not to have the norm, but... Right, but this was... Um, what would the wife think? You this know? was a married man with children in the late 1970s. Right. Like, yeah. now I feel like people would be like, ha ha, that's I know, funny. Yeah. Then no, it was like... Yeah. What are you thinking? And they already thought he was weird, right? So okay, that, that yeah. So that help. just, yeah, <laughs> exacerbates it. After 10 years at working at the BMV, Herb was fired for urinating on a letter addressed to the governor. Yeah, he's got a thing with urinating. He on does. Things. Addressed to the governor. Okay, so he didn't like the governor because he's I guess not, right? He had a problem with the governor. And didn't like whatever the governor was. Okay. And because of that incident that he was caught, it was suspected that he was responsible for urinating on his manager's desk several months prior. <laughs> so they're like, I, I oh. I think that's probably a good assumption. Yeah, that's. <laughs> What's with him in the urinating? Yeah. What? Marking territories or. <laughs> He's marking his territory. <laughs> totally. Hmm. Strangely enough, Herb had difficulty finding work. Weird. <laughs> I can't imagine why. He sounds so reliable. Right. And began drinking more frequently. Oh, shit. In September 1985, he committed a hit and run while drinking and driving. Oh, no. Six months later, he was arrested for stealing a friend's car. Then in 1986, when Herb was 40, his father passed away. Oh, uh uh-oh. It didn't seem to have an effect on him that they could tell, but all these things were kind of happening, right? So now that his father has passed, two years after that, um, in 1988, he borrowed $4,000 from his mother. And he and Julie opened the Save-A-Lot thrift store. It was it was in conjunction with the Children's Bureau of Indianapolis, a local charity. Oh. The shop sold used clothing, household goods, and other secondhand items. The inventory technically belonged to the charity, and they received a contracted percentage of the proceeds. Oh, okay. So again, he seems like an upstanding member yeah. of the community. Yeah. Like right? he's getting his act together. The tidy and organized Save-A-Lot offered quality used merchandise and became a popular place for families on a budget. Oh, nice. Okay. The store was very successful and they made $50,000 in their first year. Holy balls. Considering that it's secondhand and a charity, right? Yeah. So the couple opened a second location. Okay. Then, in November of 1991, Herb and Julie moved their family to the wealthy suburb of Westfield. Wow. They bought an 18-acre horse ranch called Fox Hollow Farms with an 11,000-square-foot Tudor-style mansion with four bedrooms and an indoor pool. So I just don't know how they could be making that much money. I also feel like it's a little odd that they're selling secondhand things for charity yeah. and then they went and bought a mansion yeah exactly <laughs> that's kind of like, a little underhanded kind of like those televangelists with the mansions and, <laughs> so we need like, your money we need your money yeah yeah I, I i was reading that and i was like wow okay so here we're trying to help these low-income families well we're in our mansion with the pool it's right just like, yeah it's weird. sleazy a little bit yeah right a little slimy so, although the Baumeisters seemed to be living the American dream, their marriage was far from ideal. What? Shocker. What? No. <laughs> As is the case with most people. It yeah. always looks good on the outside. It does. This it was, does. um... True. This one was a little... This one was a little yeah. beyond. I could see this. Herb was the decision maker, and his wife... He treated his wife like an employee. 
Oh, fun. Yeah, yeah. Wow, this is great. She's the one who's college educated. He's the one. Yeah, exactly. They fought often and they separated several times over the years, but they always got back together. Their stores had a reputation for being clean and organized, but their home was messy and cluttered, and the grounds of their estate were overgrown and unkept. Weird. Because you'd think they'd have the money to hire help or do something. Right. No. So their house was a hot mess, but their stores, again, looked perfect. Julie has since stated that she and Herb were only intimate six times during their marriage. Whoa. Wow. How many years were they married? 25. Wow. I mean, overall, 25 years, six times, three of those resulted in children. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, boy, that's a confidence killer. (laughs) Hell yeah. Well, here you go. Um, She never saw her husband naked. (gasps) The whole time they were married. Never once saw him naked. Oh. He always changed in the bathroom and said he was embarrassed of his skinny body. So I'm guessing it was always lights off, dark. Like Is this even was, you? Where are you fumbling right. around? Oh. Exactly. <laughs> That's oh. not two pillows. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Oh, good movie. So anyway, um, <laughs> Julie would often take the three kids and stay with Herb's mother at her condo at Lake Wawasee or Wawasee. I'm not sure. Okay. Which was about a hundred miles north of Westfield. And Herb would stay home because someone had to run the stores, right? Yeah. Oh. But I understand why she was constantly like, uh-huh. let's I'm get the hell out of, out of Dodge. <laughs> like, you know? You're not even attracted to me in the least. I'm out. Exactly. Oh. But then in 1994, I remember they just moved into the house in 91. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah. And they were doing really good. Yeah. In 1994, Save-A-Lot business took a turn and started oh. losing money. Uh-oh. Herb would disappear for hours during the day and his employees suspected he was out drinking. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. That sucks. He was demanding and moody. The stores were cluttered and littered with garbage bags. Oh, well, no wonder they were going downhill. Right? Yeah. Julie grew increasingly worried about her husband's behavior and all the bills that were going unpaid. I I would get a little worried as well. Then, this is also in 1994, her 13-year-old son, Eric, and a friend were playing in the wooded area behind their house. Uh Uh-oh. When they found a human skull. (gasps) (laughs) Right? Yeah. It was, there were different stories as to how he found it and whatever, but there are several places that said he put the skull on a stick to terrorize his his sisters. Oh, God. So they've got a little bit of issues as well, maybe? Well, I figured that sounds like a very boy thing to do. It does. Okay. I I don't know if he knew. Well, he was 13. He must know it was a human skull. I don't know. I don't know what he thought, but he went to terrorize his, you know, and then there was other accounts that just said he found the skull and told his mom. But I feel like that might be something they kind of didn't want to say because it's going to make him sound weird too. Eric running around with a head on a stick. So anyways, Julie asked where it came from and Eric took her to the spot and she saw what appeared to be a human skeleton partly buried in the dirt. Wow. In one place, she said it looked like a person had just laid down. <gasps> and it was or like, been placed there. Or been placed there. Exactly. Oh, right. And oh. then dirt had kind of covered him up oh, here and there. Right? Jesus. So when Herb came home, she took him out to the woods and was oh. like, the fuck? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm paraphrasing. You know. <laughs> <laughs> you know. 
the fuck is this? Okay. Um, and Herb casually dismissed it, saying it was a cadaver skeleton that his father had from medical school. He had come across it while cleaning out the garage, which I think sounds weird because it doesn't sound like he cleaned shit. Yeah, so, exactly. And so when he found it, he was like, well, I'll bury it. No, that uh. doesn't make sense. Come on. I, right? Then I was like, okay, so in that day, like, did they not have just plastic ones? Did they, was it, so it was actually like from a cadaver? And so maybe he felt like, I don't know, it doesn't matter because he was psycho. But yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. He was like, I'll take care of it. And a week later, Julie noticed it was gone. And so she just did her best to put it out of her mind. Oh, God. no. Uh, why would you? Okay. So she tried somebody? to be like, nope, I'm just going to let it go. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes Medical sense. school cadaver. <laughs> yeah. What else? Bodies, we just, yeah, we'll just leave those anywhere. Except a year later, police would tell her they suspected her husband of murder. Um, yeah. And her world would begin to crumble. Oh, wait a minute. There was this one body we found one time. Oh, God, that's not weird. Um, Right? Herb's behavior became more and more bizarre, and mood swings were intolerable. And the relationship just deteriorated. It just went to shit. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, right? I'm I'm done. Once once the police came around and and said he was a suspect. Yeah. Yeah. Things went south. In January of 1996, Julie filed for divorce. Oh, thank God. At the very least, right? (laughs) I gotta get out of here. Run. Six months later, Herb closed the Save-A-Lot stores. Oh, wow. Six months. That's fast. Six months, right? So she left. There was somewhere that I read that, like, she filed for divorce, but he actually didn't move out of the house. There was, like, a in-law's living quarters as part of the estate, and he just... Just shifted. Shifted over. Oh, Creepy. Oh, and then I'm sure he didn't want to leave his mannequins. Yeah, I was going to say, then he got a lot of plastic friends. Yeah. On June 23rd of 1996, Herb took their son Eric on a trip to visit his mother at Lake Wawasi. And Julie took this opportunity to call her lawyer, Bill Wendling, and told him about the bones that she had found in the wooded area behind the house. Good. And he contacted Detective Mary Wilson and told her that she finally had permission to search the property. Oh, wow. So she's okay, like, all good. right, Herb's gone. Do it now. Come look, oh. right? So Julie and her lawyer met the police at the house and walked the detectives to the spot where the so-called cadaver skeleton oh, was God. discovered two uh-huh. years earlier. Closer to the house. Okay. Uh-oh. This is another point where you might want to take a shot or oh, a drink God. or something. Oh, Closer to the house, just past the patio, officers found what appeared to be a charred human bone, approximately a foot long. Whoa. Okay. Oh, God. Oh. So this was like, you know, like there's, there's pic- I have pictures of the house. So, you know, there was like the back of the house, there was like a whole landscaped patio area. And then just at the edge of that. So, oh God. Okay. I don't know, what, like 15 feet from the back door? Uh, okay. Uh, um. <laughs> Having a bonfire tonight, kids. Uh, yeah. some marshmallows. <laughs> That's where they found it. So looking around, they realized that the landscaping gravel around the patio was not just pebbles and rocks. Oh, but there what? appeared to be chipped, broken bone fragments <gasps> and teeth mixed in. At least he's uh, recycling. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. It's recycling. <laughs> oh, God. Teeth. <laughs> Teeth. No. So pieces of bone were everywhere, oh my God. hidden in plain sight, just behind the family's home, 
and around the area where his children played. Oh, my God. How did he? Seriously. <sighs> I'm, I'm thinking like a wood chipper or something. Like, how do you get the bones into shards? Dude, I, I don't know. I just keep thinking Yikes. like when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. You oh, know, rocks. Like in the, I was obsessed with looking at rocks. Yes. Okay. Cool. Especially. Okay. And then like in the early 80s, everybody landscaped. It wasn't mulch. Yeah. Everything was decorative rocks, oh, yeah. right? And That's so like. True. I remember our neighbors had these white sparkly ones. Yes. And like if you, quartz. if you, and then if you put them on like sidewalks, it was like chalk. Oh. So I was constantly oh my God, snagging like, those and writing, uh, yes. right? And my parents would yell at me. They're like, those are not you, you know. Yeah. Any, any cool rock I would find. Uh, so now yeah. I'm wondering, like, did their kids have like a rock collection that had like a tooth in it or something? <gasps> like, what the F? <gasps> yeah. So gross. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> anyway. All right. Detective Wilson brought bags Uh of evidence collected from the Baumeister's backyard to forensic anthropologist Stephen Naraki. Naraki? This guy at the the University of Indiana to examine them. His finding was, quote, they're human, they're recent, and they've been burned. Oh. Gross. Oh. Gross, 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 yeah. gross. Oh, God. Oh, can they tell how the, many different <laughs> humans? I, I get there. Okay. The next day, investigators returned and found another area further away from the house in the woods that appeared to be a sort of cemetery. Oh, whoa. Uh-oh. So as they're doing this search, right, every time a bone fragment was found, they would place a small orange flag. Oh, God. 30 minutes into the search, there were nearly 100 flags in the ground. Oh, just in 30 It minutes. was just freaking everywhere. Oh, gross. Just fragments. While the search continued, police also began to search inside the house. They found the mannequins, uh, the wet bar, and the pool, just as Tony Harris had described it. But they also found a hidden video camera. Oh, oh my God. What evidence? But there was no tape inside. Oh, Right. But still, obviously, there was something yeah. going on in the basement that was worth recording. Oh, my God. Ew. As the search continued, Julie started to worry about the safety of her son, who's oh, with yeah. her. Oh, God. Yeah. Estranged husband. Right. So she was like, if Herb finds out what's happening at the house, yeah. how is he going to react? Because he's yeah. already like erratic and nobody knows what the F he's going to do or what he's capable of. So the county prosecutor quickly drew up custody papers to remove Eric from his father. Oh, thank God. Luckily, Herb still hadn't, wasn't aware of what was going on. Oh, thank God. Yeah. Okay. Because this was also, this was early 90s okay, still, so mid 90s. You know, things didn't, right. Yeah. People aren't texting. <laughs> There's yeah. no texting going, dude, you know what's happening at your house? Yeah. Oh, shit. Thank God. He was still unaware. And so when the police showed up with this custody thing, he just assumed it had something to do with their messy divorce right. and custody yeah. and all this. And he was like, oh, the bitch wants, you know, whatever. So luckily, Eric was returned without any incident because oh, that could have gone yeah, really bad, bad, right? Back at Fox Hollow, police were finding piles of compost where Herb had burned bodies along with leaves and garbage. Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. I know, right? So then they began questioning Julie. Like, how, how was this know? happening? And you had smell. Like- no clue. So Julie explained that she often took her kids to stay with Herb's mother, sometimes for weeks at a time, especially during the summer months when they were out of school. 
So police started comparing the dates of the trips when she was out of town with the dates of the missing men and things were lining up. Oh my God. So he had this very carefully figured out, right? Everyone's out of town. Time to party. Approximately 60 volunteers, including off-duty police and firemen, searched the 18-acre property. 5,500 bone fragments were recovered. Jesus Christ. Then, but then, neighbors from an adjacent farm told police they had found bones on their property as well. No. Oh, my God. So they led them to a drainage ditch that separated the two properties. The ditch had so many human ribs, vertebrae, and spines still intact. Oh, gross. How did the, why didn't they ever call? If you saw a spine, I'd be like, yes. I read somewhere that it was like kids that had found it and they thought it was animals. It didn't occur to them that it would be people, I guess. But because they were intact, they weren't broken up. They actually stuck up a Above the surface of the mud like you didn't have to dig you just like looked and it was oh my god i don't have pictures of that i can just yeah you can just picture it also found in the ditch were cans of miller genuine draft beer which was herb's favorite and handcuffs oh my god oh wow that's disturbing when they finished the search investigators estimated they had the remains of 11 men whoa only four were able to be identified using dental records. Yeah. Stephen oh. Hale, 26. Richard Hamilton, 20. Manuel Resendez, 31. And Roger Allen Goodlett, 34. Wow. That was Tony Harris's friend. And that was oh. the second mother who contacted oh, uh, Virgil yeah. Vandegrift. Oh, so my God. Tony was on the money there. That's what happened to his friend. Fast forward to 1999, DNA was used to identify four more victims. Wow. Johnny Bayer, 20. Jeff Jones, the one from the article, 31. Michael Kiern, 46. And Alan Wayne Broussard, 28. That's the man who's the first mother that went and contacted the private investigator. That was her son. Police have the DNA profiles for the other three victims, but they haven't been able to identify them oh, with anybody. No. And they haven't found more missing people that either up. they weren't reported or oh, whatever. They yeah. just they don't have they have the DNA. They just need something to match it to. <gasps> uh, so that was the most recent that I could find. If they could do that genealogy match thing, I, you right, know. that's what I was just thinking in my head. I was like, have they done ancestry.com? Yeah. Or, maybe that i mean this was when i i just looked up right and that was in 99 so i mean it's been 21 22 years maybe they've but i didn't find anything else more updated than that so wow before police could arrest her baumeister he disappeared oh no oh no yeah don't put that shit on the news (sighs) on june 29th five days after the bones were first discovered his brother brad baumeister called detectives Herb had called him from a small town in Michigan saying he was on a business trip and needed money quickly. You need to go buy more mannequins. He was like, right. I'm, I'm heading to the mannequin warehouse. <laughs> right, exactly. I got shit to get. His brother sent him money. And then he heard about the discoveries at Fox Hollow Farm and oh, called police. No. He didn't know. So he just called and then he was like, oh, crap. So he called and he was like, look, I gave him money. I didn't, oh, I didn't know. No. On the evening of July 3rd, 1996... Herb committed suicide in his car 
in Pinery Provincial Park off Lake Huron, Huron? in Ontario, Canada. Uh, <sighs> trigger warning, um, he shot himself in the forehead with a three fifty seven Magnum revolver. Jesus Christ. He left a suicide note that was three pages long, blaming his failing business and his failed marriage, but he left no mention of what happened at what? the house, nothing about being gay, oh, nothing about men that he so murdered, nothing. Horrible. Just, three pages. And that didn't come up once. He ended the note saying he was going to make a peanut butter sandwich and go to sleep. <laughs> Right? Oh weird? Let's think of weird. Okay. Dude. At the time of his death, he was 50 years old. The evening before, so like July 2nd, a Canadian trooper had found him sleeping in his car under a bridge. And Herb explained that he was a tourist passing through and just stopped to rest. The trooper noted that there was luggage and a number of videotapes in his back seat. Oh my God. But the videotapes oh. have never been found. <gasps> no! They think no. he may have thrown them in the lake. Oh, no. Oh, my. Right? Oh, my God. That's horrible. <sighs> okay. So <laughs> it keeps going. Oh, my God. Seriously? <laughs> <sighs> there are many who believe that Herb Baumeister is also responsible for the murders of at least nine gay white men whose bodies were dumped along Interstate 70 that runs between Indianapolis and Columbus, Ohio. Oh, no. The body of 17-year-old Eric Rodiger was found in May of 1985. Oh, okay. Okay. Wow. Julie says that Herb made more than 100 business trips to Columbus between 1985 and 1991. Wow, that makes sense then. She has supplied investigators with receipts, phone records, and other information that place Herb around the location and time each of the bodies was discovered. What a sicko. Right. So there's a lot of articles that said, yes, he is this, he's responsible. And then there's other ones where they're like, well, we, we don't have any like concrete concrete evidence. evidence. But the last body found along I-70, which was identified as 32 year old Clay Boatman was found in August of 1990. Okay. And not so coincidentally, Herb and his family moved into fox hollow in november of 91 oh so so it's believed that he didn't have access so he was right so he killed them on the road and then dumped them on the road and then hey look i have an 18 acre estate is what people suspect yeah right so it's believed that once they moved in and he had a yeah, yeah, situation and a plan. That's when he started sneaking out to gay bars and bringing mm-hmm. his victims home while his wife and kids were away. How sad. During the summer of 1993, five gay white men disappeared from Indianapolis. Five. Five. Three of them have been positively identified as her Baumeister's victims oh. and were found on his property. In the summer of 94, three more gay white men disappeared, all three of them. The remains were found on on the property. Yeah. Oh, God. Overall, Herb Baumeister is thought to have murdered murdered up to 27 men. Whoa. Right? Also, Fox Hollow Farms is considered to be one of the most haunted places in Indiana. I can imagine. (laughs) And there are several paranormal investigation shows that feature it. Oh, very Which I think is how I first heard about him. Instead of hearing about him via, like, the true crime angle. Right. 
it was like a paranormal show where they were talking about, you should see some of them. They said like, they were like, they would look out in the forest and they'd see what looked like a man in a red shirt, but there was nothing from the waist down. Oh. And it, you, you saw him kind of like walking into the woods. Ah. <sighs> <Creepy>. <laughs> yeah, right. <sighs> so it's considered, oh, it's considered yeah. super haunted, which, uh, right. Yeah. So that is story. I like have the chills I of know. Herb Baumeister and his seriously fucked up life. Creepy ass dude. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. I, it blows my mind that people like that have families. You know. Seriously, it I mean, blows my mind. And I know there's there was some interviews with some of the victims' families who were they're angry at the wife, and I feel bad because I also saw her in the interviews, mm-hmm. and I. It's one thing to be like, dude, I made a mistake and I married this guy and I shouldn't have married him. This yeah. is a shit marriage. Yeah. And he's, you know, he's not good for me. But there's like a whole nother leap to go to where he's also a serial killer. Like that's yeah, a whole nother. That's huge. Right? And it takes people a long time to work up their way to the conclusion that, hey, maybe this person isn't who I thought they were. Right. And so, like, right. yeah, I mean, how long would it take you to keep going to, I mean. To get to that point, yeah. I mean, she just thought he was weird. Yeah. And moody. <laughs> and skinny. Yeah. And, yeah, I. And mm, not attracted to her at all. Oh, Apparently. Oh. I know. Um, there was also something that said that he had, like, zero girlfriends in high school. Like, he didn't date yeah. at all. He didn't go out at all. I have a feeling he oh, felt yeah. like he had to get married. Yeah. Yeah, like it was that cover for his his true sexuality, which sucks. Right? You know, and it makes you wonder, had it been more accepted at that time, would it not have come to that? Manifested of course, he has, Yeah, of course he has. But he has this too, weird so. sexual ex- yeah. asphyxiation. Yeah, I mean, that's not normal, kind of, yeah. no matter what your uh, preferences are. That's yeah. um, a little kink. Not right. <laughs> yeah, kinky. Mm-hmm. That's, he also had this preoccupation, or uh, he was very preoccupied with the idea of urinating on things. Yes. What was that about? And the mannequins. The mannequins is really weird. That's why I had to go with one dummy for murder. Yes. Like, I'm sorry. that it, I don't care any other weird thing about him. If I went home with some somebody and saw mannequins yeah, no. posed no. like they were mm-hmm. his like friends, I'd be like, out. Mm-hmm. I'm out. Oh, God. Oh, God. That's enough for me. That reminds me when we were kids. <laughs> so mannequins at stores, and I don't think they have this anymore. They'd, they'd have wigs on them, you know? Mm-hmm. And so my, my brother, my brother and I'd be at the stores, and he would pull the wig back. So it was like they have this super <laughs> forehead. <laughs> my mom, you know, so we'd try to get around to all the mannequins before my mom was done shopping, and she'd get so mad. There's, they all look so funny that they're bald head, half bald heads. You know what I used to do? I used to stand up by the mannequins and try to be very still. Because <laughs> I was trying to get people to, you know, but I was probably wearing like my coat. <laughs> right. And, and like, obviously my that shoes is look so worn. not fashionable. <laughs> right. And I'm just like standing there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure people, I. Uh, they probably just pretend not to see them. Oh, yeah. They're oh, like, look at the weird oh, girl. Okay. Don't you know, but in break. my defense, you know, my mom used to take us to the mall and we would be there for like days. Yes. So, like I mean, hours. like, what were you going to do? You had to like. <laughs> I know. It took forever. I remember that too. <laughs> you know, it was just like, I had to do something to like yeah. entertain myself. Oh, God. <laughs> it was so funny. I remember we were just peeing our pants thinking it was hilarious because all the mannequins would be so ugly with their hair half 
Oh. I wonder if he had gotten them for the stores, like they were going to publish That's what I was thinking. Or like, yeah, like, oh, this one's good looking. I'm taking this one home. I have pictures, though, and they're, they're just fucking creepy. They're just, they're just, oh, they're not yeah. good looking ones. Got pictures of that, the beautiful house, the the property. It, uh. Oh. And he was not yeah. a good looking guy. He was very mm-hmm. much an awkward, geeky, skinny you know, he wasn't, he didn't really come off as creepy. He just came off as awkward. Yeah. Awkward and lame. Yeah. <laughs> I would not, I, you know what? I think Tony is really lucky that he didn't drink anything. Cause yeah. I have a feeling a lot of the so-called yeah. accidents happened because they were inebriated because Probably. he was not a big guy. He was skinny and lanky. And yeah. So that would be one way to take advantage of him or, or kill. Oh, creepy, creepy. All right. I should smart. do my uh, I should yeah, do my sources, sources here. There was a lot yeah. of them. Oh shit! I bet. So, Murderpedia.org, The Dark Side by Joseph Geringer. Part of it was part of Court TV's crime library. A and E's documentary, The Secret Life of a Serial Killer, which I could only find on YouTube, but I and it's the quality sucks, but I would yeah, highly someone recommend. recording it probably. I would highly recommend. There's that's where there was a lot of interviews with Julie Baumeister. Oh, interesting. I'll check right. it out. The book Where the Bodies Are Buried by Weinstein and Wilson, which I kind of want to go read now, but I just, there were excerpts that I saw and I took information from. And then there was thoughtco.com. So yeah, so that's, um, that's this week's twisted freaking story. So disturbed. uh, Yeah. So I hope everybody enjoyed the joy and laughter we brought. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, mannequins. Mannequins. Yeah. Yeah. Mannequins. No, I don't yeah. fuck with mannequins. Mm-mm. Did you did you ever see the the new Ghostbusters, the girls Ghostbusters? Yes, I love that. There's one. a scene where so like good. the ghost possesses the mannequin and it starts following her. That's right. Oh yeah, that's creepy. <laughs> it was it was really good. I thought that was such a good movie. And I it really didn't liked get it. good reviews, and I think it was because it was women and I'm mad about it. I know. You know what? I actually I thought it was really funny. My I kids thought it was absolutely great. loved My kids it. kids loved it too. And I loved uh, Leslie Jones's character mm-hmm. as Patty. She had the oh, best she's lines. So good. She, was she had so the good. best lines. Like um, right before the mannequin thing, when she opened up the door and there were all like those mannequin heads, and she's like, "Oh, this is just <laughs> oh, a room full no. of nightmares." And she <laughs> closed the door, and I was so like, true. "That's my girl." That's, That's so true. Right? I love it. Oh, I'm gonna have to watch Ugh. it again. It's been a while. Yeah. Oh true. yeah, it's a, we own it because you know they mm-hmm. they also my kids also use the um, phrase from the beginning of the movie where it was like, "My pants are toast." They use that all the time. <laughs> And you're like, oh, what'd you do? (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) I wasn't that scared. You called and said, my pants are toast. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, uh, also a plug for that movie. We're not getting anything from that. No, that would be nice. It's hilarious. Yes, it is a good movie. Thank you, everybody, once again for listening to us. We really appreciate it. I saw that we are at over 3,000 downloads. Nice. um, Which is... Oh, shocks the hell out of me that's great <laughs> it's so yeah. cool it is very cool we appreciate we really support. appreciate it yeah it's nice to know that we're not just doing this and then it just goes out into the interwebs and just the yeah the cats are watching it you know it's <laughs> well, maybe that is all the downloads it could be all the cats hey whatever i'll yeah. take a download i don't care yeah. if that's feline whatever yeah if you get a chance, though, um, follow us or um, especially on Apple Podcasts, give us a review. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't yeah. want to write something, just give us yeah, a couple give stars, stars if you want to. Yeah. It'd be cool. And tell your friends about us. Yeah, share us. Yeah, share please. us. And, and, and we haven't gotten any photos of where people listen to our yeah. podcast at yet. And I really want to see. I want them to 
post it on social media and tag us so that we know where they listen to us at. Like, yeah, because I want to know, is it the cats in the interwebs? Yes. Or is it or real people? In a room full of mannequins? <laughs> right. Or... Is it, oh, Jesus. <laughs> I imagine it's more humans in their cars, but who knows? Yeah. You never know. Who you can say? Know. Yeah. Who can say? If, right? That would be fun to see the felines. Right. Okay. Driving yeah, their maybe. cars listening? Yes. <laughs> oh, like Toots. Wasn't it Toots? Toots. Yes. Toots is the driving the cat. The driving cat. Oh, so stupid, but so funny. It was. <laughs> I don't know why it was so funny. I don't know either, but it cracked me it up. It was hilarious, yeah. Go to the website if you want to see uh, pictures, either the website or we will post them on Instagram and on Facebook. And I try to put them up on um, Twitter as well. I just, I'm not nearly as good at Twitter. I'm working on it. I'm trying, I, but I I'm not really that good. To you. That is, I know. <laughs> I'm not good with the with the twitters. You're not good with the <laughs> with the twats. <laughs> um, and email us any ideas or thoughts at odfmpodcast at gmail Yes, please. If yeah, if there's a weird story you know that you want us to to yeah. talk about, or just like a crazy weird serial killer one that you're like, hey, I really would like to know more about this, but I do not want to put in the effort to find yes. out. Like, I just want you to tell yeah. me something about it. Yeah, we'll do it. Yeah, send us some fan art. We're into fan art. Oh yeah, maybe even make it into stickers, and we'll send yes. you one. And if you would like to support us monetarily, we would absolutely appreciate that. We have a Patreon page where you can be a Patreon subscriber and then you get little extra bonus goodies. Yeah. Like uh, there's a level where you can have um, our uh, our theme song as your ringtone, which is what I have on my phone. Right? Like who doesn't want that? <laughs> or there's um, buymeacoffee.com. Yep. You can keep support us going us with, uh, yeah. with some money there. Yeah. Anyways, we really appreciate you guys. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Have a wonderfully odd week. Stay odd. Stay odd. Bye. (laughs) To see images from this story, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ODFM Podcast or on our website at odfmpodcast.com, where you'll also find a link to our merch store where you can get awesome stuff like t-shirts, mugs, stickers, and more. And if the weekly podcast just isn't enough to fill your ODFM cup full, join our fan club on Patreon for more content like minisodes, bloopers, and discounts at our merch store. That site is patreon.com slash ODFM podcast. And if you do love our bloopers and need more than we naturally do, which is a lot, buy us a glass of wine at buymeacoffee.com slash ODFM podcast. Thanks for listening to another episode of ODFM, hosted by Kelly DeVries and Jenna Swanson. Production and editing by Kelly DeVries. Theme music by Eric Swanson. ODFM is a satirical true crime podcast for entertainment purposes only. The stories you hear are serious and true. The comments and opinions are not. We apologize if any of our content is harmful or disrespectful. Disrespectful.